Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. Uh, starting in verse 13, it says, When Jesus came, a John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, and he said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is true. Your word is the guidance that leads us into the truth we need to live. I thank you for this passage that you've given us today. I thank you for the message that comes our way as we study these words. Lord, the, the scriptures say it so much better than I can say might be of benefit to those who are listening, not because of me, but because they are your words. They're your guidance, your encouragement, your thoughts coming to us, Lord, that guide us and encourage us as we walk this daily path. Help us, Lord, to understand what you have for us here. Help us to live it out in our lives and be different as this message impacts us today. Point one, point two, point three. I'm just going to talk to you about this a little bit. And I'm going to share with you the things that impact me when I read this passage. And then the first, uh, the central point of this passage, Jesus says, upon this I will build my, grabs my attention, that grabs my, my insight, and I'm thinking, what does Jesus mean? Yeah, that's it, couldn't get through. So we cut them all down, we reupholstered them, put them together, and put them in there. That church took a lot of work, took a lot of effort, and we were very thankful that God allowed us to do that. Church, that isn't my church. Because a church isn't made up of wood and stone and siding and shingles. The church isn't a building. And when Jesus says, I will build my church, he wasn't talking about picking up a hammer and nailing together a couple of pieces of wood. I want you to understand this. This is not the meaning of the word church. That's a great picture, it's a great idea, but it's it's not what the scriptures concentrate on what it means when Jesus says, I will build my church. And he does this by, by giving us a, a very specific term. The, the Greek term that Jesus used here when he says, I will build my ecclesia. And I know we don't want to spend a lot of time on the Greek, but this ecclesia is a very interesting word. It's made up of two simple Greek words. Ek means out, a very simple preposition, and the word kaleo, which is to call. So what he's saying is, these are my called out ones. When Jesus says, I will build my church, he says, I will build a group of individuals who are called out for me. And this word ecclesia isn't new to Jesus. It had been around for hundreds of years in the Greek language. One of the most famous ecclesias that ever existed was the, is in the town of Athens. It was the ecclesia, the called out assembly, who led that city. 
the representatives who were elected by the people came together and formed the ecclesia. And that ecclesia led the town. Even in our Bible, ecclesia shows up 118 times. Many times it's translated church, but there are a few times when it's translated differently. One, one of them stands out in the book of um, Ephesus, in, in, in Ephesians. In, in Ephesus, when Paul was dealing with the silversmiths, remember that? And, and there was this big problem that came up. It says, now when they heard this, they were full of wrath. They cried out, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. They rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's traveling companions. And when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples would not allow him. And some of the officials, who were his friends, sent word to him, pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing, some cried another, and the ecclesia was confused. Some of them did not know why they had come together. So this term, ecclesia, we need to change our thinking about it. You see, if we don't properly identify a word, we're not properly going to use it. So when we see the scriptures talking about church, we have to get away from this idea of buildings. And it's so easy to fall into. I mean, we're talking about church planters. We talk about church building. We talk about uh, restoration of churches, uh, revival in our churches. The problem is, when we do that, we're not using the biblical meaning, this ecclesia, this idea of the called out ones. If it doesn't mean wooden stone, we need to go back into the passage and understand what he's really calling us out from and what he's calling us to. So let's, let's take a look at this. Let's, let's define our term properly and let's make sure we understand what Jesus means when he says, I'm building my ecclesia, my body of believers. So Jesus came, it says, into the region of Caesarea Philippi. And he asked his disciples, it says, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now that term, Son of Man, was one that Jesus really liked to use for himself. He typically used this term to apply to himself over and over. It's, it, it's out of uh, the Old Testament. It's a great term. It means the mortal one, which is kind of unusual unless you really understand who Jesus was and what he was doing. He calls himself the Son of Man to identify himself here. And when he does, he says, now, what do people say? Who do people say that I am? This is called a softball question. This is an easy one. <laughs> Because you really can't get this question wrong. As long as somebody said it sometime, it's okay to give that answer. And so the disciples are easily answering him, and, and they give him a couple of interesting answers. The first thing they say is, well, some, some say you were John the Baptist. Um, Herod was a big proponent of this. He figured, okay, I killed John, and he's come back as this Jesus. Now, how many people think that's the right answer? Good. <laughs> it's not. It doesn't even make a whole lot of sense when you, when you think about it, because John and Jesus were cousins. They knew each other. They'd been in the same area. How can John come back as a guy who's already there? It doesn't make sense. But it's what Herod was saying. It's what some others were saying, and they were wrong. 
also said, well, maybe he's Elijah. You remember the story about Elijah, right? He was taken up from that whirlwind. He was a great prophet, a, a powerful man, a great uh, man of God. And he was taken up in that whirlwind. Maybe he's come back down and maybe he's le leading the people now. Well, that was wrong too. Or maybe he's Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. That, that prophet who had only two converts in all of his many, many years of ministry. Uh, because people would reject a lot of times what Jesus was saying. So maybe they thought, maybe it's Jeremiah. Or maybe it's just some other prophet. These are all great answers. They're, they're wonderful answers because they, they show that people have been listening to what's happening, and they also show that people don't really understand who Jesus is. I want to stop for a minute and ask you the question. If Jesus asked you today, who do people say that I am? Would we give the same answers, or we have a couple others? We got a couple others, don't we? Uh, people will say, "Oh, Jesus, he was a rabble rouser. He was a troublemaker. He was the one who stirred everybody up and, and got them off the status quo." Well, that's what some people believe. Others believe, "Oh, Jesus, he was gentle, meek, and mild," and that's what they believe. Others believe Jesus was kind of mean and wild, <laughs> and, uh, and and they say. Oh, he was, he was a troublemaker. He was, um, he, he was always looking to cause a fight. Some, who call themselves theologians, will say that we don't really know who the real Jesus is because the scriptures have twisted and uh, contorted him so out of focus that he wouldn't even recognize himself if he read the scriptures today. They want to get back past the scriptures to the real Jesus. Well, they're doing it all the wrong way because the only way we know about Jesus is through the scriptures. The truth of the scriptures is what guides us to the truth of Jesus. People get this question wrong all the time. Um, there's some Hindus walking around here who say, well, Jesus, he's just one of the other many, many gods. There's some out here who say, well, Jesus, he was a great prophet. He was, a, he was a wonderful speaker of God, but he wasn't the Son of God. He wasn't God incarnate. He was just another great man who tried to teach us truth. It's an easy question to answer because people get this wrong. And Jesus knew this. I don't think he did this haphazardly. He had a plan when he asked that question. The first question was an easy one. Who do people say that I am? And his disciples got it right when they told about all the ways that people got it wrong. And I can imagine, because I try to imagine in my mind how this stuff plays out, I can imagine at this point they were just kind of sitting on a hillside, they were, they were done with the work of the day, and, and Jesus was teaching them in a more relaxed atmosphere, and they might have had a good chuckle about this. They might have talked about all the different ways that people got Jesus wrong. But then, then he says, who do you say that I am? And we move from a softball question to one that puts a real challenge on you. Because now, the answer comes from you. And if you get the answer wrong, there's a lot more at stake than if people gotten the answer wrong. If you take a chance and you give an answer and you're wrong, then you don't understand. See, who do people say that I am? That's one thing. Who do you say then that I am? That's more important. What's really most important is who am I? What is the truth? Do you, my disciples, who have walked with me these years, who have spent this time listening to me, do you know who 
I am. And I can imagine that this question caused them a little bit of uncomfortableness. They might have looked at each other, they might have said, eh, I'm not going to try that one, how about you? <laughs> but it's Peter, and, and I love Peter. <laughs> Peter takes a lot of grief, and sometimes rightfully so. I mean, he's bold, he's impudent, he's, he, he's always running around doing stuff. He's the one that, uh, you know, jumps out of the boat when they're almost ashore and, and, and you know, gets there that way instead of staying in the boat. He's the one that picks up that sword and cuts a guy's ear off. Have you ever thought how strange that is? <laughs> but at least Peter tries. You got to give him that. <laughs> you got to give him that. Peter tries. So, so Peter says, you know what? I'm going to give you an answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Great answer. Great answer. Peter gets it wrong so many times, but this time, Peter gets it right. And Jesus turns to him and says, you're blessed. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. He uses his real name for a minute, because Peter was the name that Jesus gave him. But he says, Simon, son of Jonah, you're blessed. Because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. It is my Father in heaven. And I'm telling you, you're Peter, which means little stone, little rock. And upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. So there's something about right here that Jesus is using to define how he builds his church. And we need to figure that out. Peter's response is beautiful. And you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now that word Christ, again, we want to carefully define our terms. And the word Christ, Christus in, uh, in the Greek, is a direct translation from a Hebrew word. And that Hebrew word was Messiah. Christ is the name in Greek. Messiah is the title in the Hebrew. And it means the anointed one. You would listen to our world probably and think that Jesus Christ means that Christ is his second name. But it's not. It's Jesus the Christ. It's Jesus Messiah. It's not just a name for him. It is a title. It's an honorific that's placed on him. And it means the anointed one. Now, this causes problems. Because Jesus doesn't normally use this term for himself. There are a few times when Jesus does allow people to call him the Messiah. This is one of them. Another popular one is the woman at the well who meets Jesus and talks with him for a while. And as they're getting into it, she says, I know that when he comes, the Messiah is going to do all this. And Jesus says, I'm him. If people properly understood this term, Jesus was more than willing to use it. But the problem was, so many people misunderstood it. When they heard the word Messiah... When they heard anointed one, the one anointed by God, set apart for a special mission, they would think back in their history to people like Moses. Moses was called by God to stand up against Pharaoh. Wow! To have uh, these ten plagues pro promote God's power and glory. To lead the people out of Egypt into the promised land, to give them the law. Moses was anointed to this great task. 
and they wanted the same kind of guy. They wanted a Messiah who would come in, knock Rome down, rebuild Jerusalem, and bring back the power and glory of their land. They wanted a person like David who was anointed to be king over Israel, who took him from a little city-state back into an empire. They wanted a Messiah who would be a political ruler, a leader who would fight their battle. And there had been a number of people who had tried to fill that role. There were a lot of false messiahs during this time in Palestine. They usually ended up on the wrong side of Rome, ended up them and their followers were killed. And Jesus wanted to be very careful and help people understand that when they were saying Messiah, they were not using the term in the right way. Again, I, I believe words have meanings and we have to understand the proper meaning of these words if they're going to mean anything to us. It's easy for us to misunderstand something. I think that's why when we hear church, we think of buildings. It's easy to misunderstand. There are other words that through their usage uh, become very hard for us to understand. Uh, one of them I want to give you an example of. It comes from a very popular creed from the early church. Now, creeds were statements of belief. When people would stand up and say, this is what I believe, this is what I understand to be true. And I want to read you one of the earliest of these creeds. It's the Apostles' Creed. And if you haven't heard it before, um, I want you to pay attention. But if you have heard it, just, just follow along. Um, there are a couple of different versions of this. This is, this is one that comes uh, from a Reformed tradition. Uh, and uh, so it's a, it's a Protestant statement. And I want you to hear this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Those are beautiful, beautiful words, but there's a word in there that causes problems, especially to us Protestants. When we say a Holy Catholic Church, even most Protestant versions of this have a little asterisk there, a little spot. Look down here for the proper meaning of this term. Because the, the word Catholic, as it's used here, the, the Holy Catholic Church does not mean the church which is based in Rome. It does not mean the Pope and the bishops and those who are in the Roman Catholic tradition. It predates that whole process. It means the entirety of the church, the universal church, those who are called by God out of darkness into his precious light. That is the meaning of the term. However, since it's a perfectly good meaning and it's a perfectly wonderful meaning, I don't recommend you use it because it gets confused. If we walked around calling ourselves a Catholic church, people would wonder 
right? We, we need to understand the word means something different to people who hear it today. Even though it means the universal church. Even in the Catholic church it means the universal church. It's just come to mean something in our ears that it doesn't hold on to. That's what Messiah had become to, the, to these New Testament believers, to these New Testament uh, Jews. They heard Messiah and they understood it was the anointed one, but it had come to mean this political ruler. You see, they were still making a mistake. They were still stuck in the wrong answer. Who do they say that Jesus is? They say the wrong thing. And when Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? Peter said it with the right meaning. He said, you are the anointed one. What does it really mean? What does it really mean to be the anointed one of God? The scriptures were very clear if they had taken the time to study them. The scriptures laid it right out. It was the anointed one who was the sacrifice that had been set aside to pay the price for sin. He was the atonement. And Jesus says, Peter, you didn't get that by listening to the priests. You didn't get that by listening to your parents or the community. What happened was God put it on your heart. The truth of who Jesus is was revealed to Peter, and Jesus says, you're right. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of the living God. And the only reason you know that is because God has opened your heart to see it. You see, the real question, <laughs> who is Jesus? We almost always get it wrong. In fact, we always get it wrong on our own. We always get it wrong because we're humans, because we're failures. You see, the Bible is very clear about every one of us. From the greatest saint living on this earth to the worst sinner among us, we're all sinful. Our sin separates us from a holy God. Our minds are clouded by this world. The, um, the truth is not in us. We're all sinners. Scriptures tell us that. Say, all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. It's hard to make people believe that sometimes when you're talking to them in the world nowadays. They'll say, well, man is basically good. Oh, man, he, 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 if left on his own, he'll do the right thing. It's society that's the problem. It's these other pressures in his life that are the problems. Man is basically good, and he can pull himself up by his bootstrap, and he can become something wonderful if left on his own. And the Bible says no. The Bible says every one of us are sinners. Welcome to church today, by the way. <laughs> I got bad news for you, but the bad news is followed by some good news. You see, every one of us is sinners. Every one of us deserves the punishment that we receive. But the good news is that Jesus came to take away that sin. Every one of us was under condemnation. We were enemies of God. And there was nothing you could ever do that could cleanse you. You were hopeless. But Jesus, Jesus, who wasn't just a good teacher, 
Jesus who just, wasn't just a, a great prophet. Jesus who was God the Son, who cre- was created before eternity, who, who, who was not created, who created all things. Please be careful, Dave. <laughs> Jesus, the uncreated, who existed before all things, who created this earth, who created us, looked down on us in love, in all our faults and in all our failures, looked down on us in our sin and said, I will become one of you. The eternal God became man, born of a virgin, but in the special way that he was without sin, as he always had been. And he lived without sin. And the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. You and I get to pay that price. Hell was not created for man. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. But when he tricked Adam and he tricked Eve and they sinned, we earned it. It became our payment. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus saw that and he says, I'm going to come down, I'm going to live a perfect life. Not just to prove to us that it could be done. Because he did so much more than that. He lived that perfect life and then he took upon himself my sin. He took upon himself your sin. The one who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might receive the righteousness of God. He took that sin upon himself and he died in our place. He paid the price that we might receive forgiveness. He rose again and he's coming back for us someday. This is what the Messiah truly is. This is what was revealed to Peter's heart. And when Peter spoke these words, Jesus says, you're right. You're right. And because you are not speaking the words of men. You're speaking out the truth that God has given to you in your heart. And when Jesus builds his church, not churches, not plural, but one church, one church for all time and all places, he builds it in this exact same way. You see, there are people who will say that the church was built on Peter, that he is the one that was the important one. And because Peter was so important, the church is built around him. And he was given the keys of the kingdom, and they've been passed down through this succession so that the church can function. No, it's not that. It is not that. What is being said here is not that Peter is the foundation of the church, but what Peter did by receiving God's message and by speaking it out. This, the proclamation of faith, is what Jesus builds his church on. Amen. You see, this is what the difference is. This is how salvation comes. Not because you're so intelligent. Not because you read the scriptures and understand them right. Not because you pray so hard. Not because you've done so many good deeds. But because God, in his mercy, reaches down to you, a sinner, and gives you the truth of who Jesus is. Every person who goes to heaven will not have walked down a Southern Baptist aisle. 
Every person who goes to heaven will not have prayed the sinner's prayer. But every person who goes to heaven will have believed the truth about Jesus. And every person who goes to hell will not. This is how Jesus builds his church. So I have to ask you today, what do you believe about Jesus? Who is he? Who is he to you? Is he a good teacher that it's worth studying? Is he the leader of a group of uh, millions of people? Or is he the Messiah, the anointed one? Is he the atoning sacrifice which is paid on your behalf? Is he your savior? Like I said, it's not, it's not whether you walk a pew. It's not whether you say a prayer. It's whether God has revealed this truth to your heart. And if you've never realized that, and if, you, if you're coming to see that right now, there's something real easy I want you to do. I just want you to, in your own words, pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. Jesus, you were perfect. I'm not. Jesus, you lived a sinless life. I didn't. Jesus, you died for my sin. And I accept that payment on my behalf. I want to be yours, Lord. That's what it takes. That's what it takes to be in his church. But friends, a lot of you have probably prayed that prayer in the past. And there's a message for us here too. Because what Jesus calls us to do is to live this out in our lives. The first step that you're supposed to do, once you come to know the Lord as your personal Savior, is to be baptized. That's not my words, that's the scripture. And the reason it's there is very important. You see, your baptism isn't about getting wet. Your baptism isn't about listening to your pastor and doing what he says. Your baptism is about publicly making a confession of your faith. Because the scripture, again, is very clear. It says what the heart man believes and with the mouth he confesses. And what you're supposed to do when you're baptized, there, there are different ways to be baptized. Not everybody gets to be dunked into a baptistry. But everybody who is properly baptized gets to give their testimony. That was the hardest part for some of the people that I was baptizing in my church. They said, yeah, I, I want to get up there. I, I'm happy to get down under the water, and I'm happy to, to shake hands with everybody, but, but why do I have to tell them what, <laughs> about my salvation? Said, because you need to make that public confession. What you're doing as you go down into the water, identifying with Christ in his death, and being raised to newness of life, is you are publicly stating before people that you believe. That's what Peter did. That's what you need to do. It's that first step. Next step, of course, for believers is to get in with the kind of the ones called out of darkness into his blessed light. Then we need... It can happen in a synagogue. It can happen in a sanctuary. It can happen in a brewery. It happens 
in all sorts of places. But the church isn't doing the church. The church is the church. It's living it out. You see, this time on Sundays isn't your church time. This is your time with your congregation. This should be the easiest time to be a Christian because everybody else around you is a Christian too. Because we're all coming together and we're praising the Lord and we're singing His songs and we're listening to His Word and it's a great refreshment and renewal. That's why it's important to us. That's why Wednesday nights are important. That's why the men's meetings are important. Those times are the refreshing and encouraging and strengthening we need, listen to me, to go out and be the church in our families, in our workplace, when we go to the store, when we go to the restaurant. Those are the places that we, the church, live out our faith. That's where it's not as easy. That's where the statements come a little bit harder. That's where taking a stand for Christ and saying the truth of who Jesus is takes a little more challenge. I believe that's why when Jesus was talking to people about the kingdom of heaven, our discipleship, our growing, he says it's very hard. It's very hard because you've got to live it out. It's so easy to say a prayer. It's so easy to get that feeling, yes, Lord, I know who you are. What's hard is living it out day by day. It's even easy, let me say this, it's even easy to die for God. We can talk ourselves into it and say, if they put me up against a wall, hold a gun to my head and say, do you believe in Jesus? It's easy to say, I'll say yes. You know what's hard is living it. Living it out day by day when that coarse joke comes up at work. When these people start making fun of Jesus. When they use his name, Jesus Christ, as a swear. It's hard at that point to live it out. To take a stand. But you see, it's essential. It's essential. Because Jesus needs to know, who do you say I am? See why I say I'm talking to you believers as well? This is an ongoing thing. Who do you say that I am? (laughs) Jesus says, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. What does that mean? Well, that's a little harder. But let me give you something real simple about this. If the church is really who Jesus says it is, if the church is the ecclesia, the ones called out of darkness into his light, then the church is listening to God. The church is listening to God's will. The church is listening to God's word. And what they say are God's words. And whatever we loose in in earth has been loosed in heaven because God has given that to us. Whatever we bind on earth has been bound in heaven because we're speaking God's words, not our own. We're not the ones who get to choose what's loose. We're not the ones who choose to get what's bound. We're just responding to what God tells us. You know, it's, it's really hard to walk up to somebody and say, hey, you're going to hell. <laughs> but we have to tell them the truth. And they say, well, you mean, Dave that God would send me to a place of torment forever? I say, friend, I don't like that. I don't want you to go there. 
But you see, your sin separates you from a holy God. God can't stand to have this in his presence. He can't stand to have sin around him. And heaven's going to be a place where there is no sin, where there is no failures and there is no faults. And so, friend, if, if you don't find the forgiveness of Jesus, and I say this with the utmost care and concern for you, yes, you're going to hell. Oh, that's so hard. But you see, that's what God says. So that's what we have to say. He commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Now, if you've been listening at all to what I meant about the whole word Messiah, you see why he said this. He wasn't trying to hide who he was. He wasn't trying to say, don't tell anybody what you figured out. What he's saying is they're not going to understand you if you say it that way. Just like me telling you not to go around telling people we're a Catholic church. <laughs> I don't want you to cause misunderstanding and confusion. So Jesus says, I don't want you to tell them I'm the Messiah. I want you to tell them I'm their Savior. I want you to tell them that I've come to take away the sins of the world, that I am here as the atoning sacrifice, that I died that you might live, and that I live that you might be with me forevermore. You see what he means? He's not saying, shh, you're in a quiet group now. You have to hide this from everybody. He's saying, don't be confusing in the issue. Listen to what he says to you. Jesus builds his church, not churches, not buildings, not places. Churches come and go. Alpine Village Baptist Church has a special place in my heart. But I'll tell you this, it means very, very little to you. And that's good, because it doesn't need to. What should mean something to you is Jesus builds his church by calling people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation to himself. He calls you, sinner, to lay that down and to accept the truth that he's given. I don't know how all of it works. I don't know what the difference is between a predestination and effectual calling and your own choice. But I do know this, because I see it from the scriptures. When God calls to you, you're held responsible. When God tells you his truth. So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? I'm going to leave that simple question for you. And I want you to comment. And I want you to ponder it. I want you to think about it. And I want you to ask yourself, is my picture of Jesus the one that God has given to me? Or is my picture of Jesus something that I've just picked up over the years? I've been in church so long that I, I've seen his picture up on the wall and I've heard people talk about him so long. My, my pastor has described Jesus every week for years. But Jesus turns to them and says, depart from me. Not because you didn't do enough. Not because you didn't say things the right way, but because you never knew me. Because you never received the truth 
that God provided to Simon and that God provides to every one of his children. Because you didn't open your heart and accept the simple message of God's salvation. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He came to this earth as a baby. I believe that. He came to this earth through a virgin. I believe that. I don't understand it. I don't know how it happened, but I believe it's true. He lived a sinless life. That's confusing to me, but it's true. He took my sin upon himself. I don't know how something like that's possible, but I know it's true. He died on a cross when he didn't have to for me. I don't understand it, but I believe it. He rose again. I haven't seen him, but I believe it. And I believe he's coming back for me. God has done that to me, not because I'm so special, not because I attended seminary, not because I've, I've, I've walked with him for all these years, but because he decided in his mercy to open my heart to receive that truth. And that's available to you today. Father, I want to thank you so much for all that you're doing. I want to thank you for the cross. I want to thank you for the risen Savior. I want to thank you for these words right here. Where you talk a funny old man, a fisherman, who was impulsive, impudent. You taught him a truth that he couldn't grasp on his own. You taught him who you were. And I'm thankful for that, Lord. I'm thankful that you're still doing that to men and women today. That you're still revealing yourself, the truth of Jesus, to a lost and dying generation. I pray, Lord, that you'll be in our hearts and in our minds as we study this. I pray that you'll give us voice to our beliefs so that we will have the courage and boldness to proclaim your truth. I pray that you'll be with us as a congregation as we gather together and encourage one another and spur us on to greater and greater works of ministry as we tell others this great message, for that's why we exist. Guide our hearts to serve you, to love you always, to walk with you in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.